Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to My Weirdest Experience Podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hi, welcome to the show. I have a returning guest today, Christina Stanton. She is an author and she was on episode number 32, which is which by the time you hear this already came out, but it'll be October 19th. And I asked Christina to return because we spent a lot of time talking about COVID and she had written a book about COVID and we didn't have a chance to talk about her other book, Out of the Shadow of 9-11. So welcome back, Christina. Hi. <laughs> I all these sad books about these sad things. <laughs> What's your next topic going to be? Hopefully okay, it'll be positive. It will. Actually, I'm a licensed New York City tour guide, and I'm going to do a funny expose of funny things that have happened on my tours. It's going to be funny and fun, a romp around Manhattan. So yeah, no, it's going to oh, be good. a departure. Oh, that'll be so nice. Yes. I mean, like, it's important to talk about these tough topics, and I think that it's probably therapeutic for us to talk about it. Um, and I feel like the more you talk about this tough stuff, the easier it gets. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. yeah. It's the life cycle. It's the, li- it's, you know, it, you take the good, you take the bad and you just, you, you do, you deal with it, how you're going to deal with it. So there's good times, there's bad times. And, you know, the bad times are, are, or for me, at least, they were real learning curves and launching off points for me to to move on and and to learn from and apply things to 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 my everyday. So I'm always trying to understand so I can do better, be better, deal better, or just not be surprised. You know, like have yeah. my resources about me. Well, when, you're, you're the kind of person it seems like that you like to reflect on the meaning of things. Yeah. And I'm the same way. And I think the only way to really do that, or one of the ways to do that is to stand back and look at the big picture. Right, right, right. Because right. I think we get, we get confused and mired in the details, which I think is totally happening right now. Right, I agree. Um, yeah, and that you need to stay, take a step back, and, and look at the big picture and try to find the meaning behind it all. I'm a big meaning person. Like, what does this mean? Why are we going through this? What are we learning? What do we need to learn? How do we not repeat this again? <laughs> right, right. I'm the same way. And it may be a personality type, but I really think that personality type or no, it is just good to reflect for, 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 for all kinds of different reasons. Well, you know, I've always been this way and I call myself a humanitarian because even as a child, um, I think in the 80s when they had the 
the famine in Africa. And I remember watching it on TV and going, why is this happening? Why don't we send them food? Why don't we send them medicine? Why don't we send them what they need? Right. And it just didn't make sense. I was like, why, why are there, why are there countries who are, that are food insecure? I mean, why, how did that happen? Why is that happening? That was definitely questions I pondered when I was Yeah. So it seemed like there was a solution, but no one was stepping forward and making it happen. And even as a child, I was thinking about these things. (laughs) And I know other people don't think that way. I realized later, so you think everybody's like you. And then later on, you're like, no. No, wish they were in a way, but nope. Not so (laughs) much. Takes all kinds. You know, I I tell my daughters, they have a teenager and a tween and they're very self-conscious. You know, that's the age. And they said, oh, I don't want to go here. People are going to look at me. And I said, trust me, they are not looking. Most people are so self-involved with whatever their issues are, whatever's going in in their lives. They don't even have the energy or, you know, to even look around and notice what's happening. (laughs) I don't think they believe me, though. And, and people change as they as they get older and um, yeah it's just all about being I think it's a lot of it's being your your most healthiest self mentally physically and you know try not to get in a rut and and and, and seeing seeing life from from other uh, walking a mile in other people's shoes so that's that's what it seems like to me is the yeah. essence of life <laughs> I think you can do both like you you can be of course, involved with what's going on with you, but then you can also look at what's going on collectively, community-wise, state-wise, country-wise, you know, you can do both. Because one Um, person can make a difference. One person. The older I get, the more I marvel at that, that fact that, wow, one person can make a huge difference. Yeah, so let's talk about your book, Out of the Shadow of 9-11. You wrote this book because you were literally living a few blocks from ground zero, and you were also affected health-wise afterwards. So tell us what happened. Well, that day I was actually still in bed, and my husband came and shook me awake and said, something horrible has happened get up. So I got out of bed. We ran to our terrace. Now we had this really interesting apartment that we had actually just moved into two months earlier. Our stuff was still in boxes. We uh, rented a place six blocks away from the World Trade Center site. And we had a little 300 square foot terrace that actually faced the Twin Towers. And so we had a bird's eye view. We were literally right there. And so we ran onto that, that terrace and I remember looking around and hearing so much noise. I mean, up to that point, it was such a quiet terrace because you couldn't hear street noise. It was too far off the ground. But people were collectively yelling so so loud and there were ambulance sirens and police sirens going up the West Side Highway. I just was thinking, oh my goodness, look at this. And then looking straight ahead, there were flames and smoke coming out of either side of the North Tower. We didn't know what had happened. It, it just, I was completely stunned. I, I don't even remember speaking much, but we were just watching 
this tower burn and complete shock. When all of a sudden over our right hand shoulder, the second plane came right over. My husband's done the math too and realized it was about only about 500 feet above us, which is really close wow. when that plane was coming so fast. It went over our heads, went straight in front of us, turned and went into the building. And it was clearly a very deliberate maneuver. In fact, the, the, the act of, of the terrorist turning was, was very deliberate, which, you, which we saw and we felt. And speaking of, of felt, we were actually blown back into our apartment and it knocked me out on the floor. So I woke up with my 40 pound Boston Terrier jumping all over me and I could hear my husband yelling things. I couldn't figure out what he was saying, but I do remember him asking me if I wanted to wear my shoes. And I said, no, let's get out of here. <laughs> my husband grabs my dog. We run down the 24 flights. And of course, as soon as we get downstairs, I realize I'm in my pajamas with no shoes. I mean, I had, had 24 flights to kind of collect myself, I guess you'd say. And so we kind of turned the corner to go back into our lobby, to go back upstairs. And I was like, let's do this. Let's do a do-over. Let me get dressed and then we'll evacuate. But even in that time, our doorman said, no, you, you can't go back to your apartment. We're evacuating only. So I went back outside, realized that nobody cared what I was wearing or not wearing. My mm -hmm. husband took off his socks and I wore his socks, which were, which were fine, actually. Then we want to, you know, when, when there's danger somewhere, your own inner alarm starts ringing and it tells you, you know, get as far away from danger as you can. Well, for us, where we were in Manhattan and where we were in relationship to the Twin Towers, the farthest away that we felt we could go was Battery Park at the very tip of Manhattan. So Manhattan, you know, is an island and it ends in a 25 acre park, so which we lived right near. So we walked mm -hmm. to the park and when we got to the park, we felt, um, we felt safe. But, you know, this park and basically three sides is surrounded by water, the New York Harbor, the East River, the Hudson River. So when the Twin Towers came down completely unexpectedly, by the way, we were covered with dust and debris, surrounded by smoke, and we were trapped. So rather than it being a safe haven, it became a, a, a place where we were trapped and thought that we were going to die. We actually said goodbye to each other. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I just remember looking at all the other people who were trapped in this park, running around like crazy, and there was nowhere to run. And some of them pitching themselves into the New York Harbor, trying to swim to Governor's Island. And I remember thinking, this is it. This is the end. And I'm 31. My husband's 34. We're newlyweds. And, and that's it. And that's all she wrote. This is the end of the road. And I just remember thinking, wow, I, I just didn't do anything that I wanted to do. I... I, I don't have a right relationship with my faith and I've let that slide for a decade and I'm sorry about that and I'm upset about that. I don't know, you know, what the afterlife is going to look like for me. And, you know, I was very glad though, to be with my husband because all of those people were without their loved ones. Our cell phones weren't working. They couldn't even call to say goodbye or anything like that. So we were actually evacuated um, off of the island of Manhattan um, in the largest boat evacuation in history. And we were deposited in New Jersey. And then from there, we actually didn't get back into our apartment for two more weeks. You know, we live so close to the attack zone that there were several reasons why we couldn't get back, but we, we couldn't for two more weeks. So we just tell you, we couch surfed, we 
slummed around. <laughs> I would oh go to the Salvation God. Army daily to get toiletries and food and clothing. And meanwhile, I mean, we had some sub uh, uh, tragedies. Our dog hovered between life and death because he had licked that dust that covered his fur as animals do when they're dirty. Mm -hmm. And that dust was filled with ground up glass and, and wood products and things like that. And it basically shredded his inside. So he was at the vet clinging to life. My husband graduated from Clemson University and he was close to a fraternity brother who we had found out had died in the North Tower. And we went to, actually, he's from New Jersey and we went to his memorial service. And it just, it just seemed like it went on and on and on, so to speak. We started showing symptoms of, of PTSD right away. My husband couldn't stay awake. I couldn't go to sleep. I was completely jumpy and shaky all the time. We, it put, uh, uh, we were unemployed at that point. I mean, I was in tourism. Nobody came to the city for, for, for quite a while, you know, after 9-11. My husband was having a hard time working. And so in every way, it affected us. I mean, there was nothing left that it didn't affect. Mm -hmm. And it was just a real, it was a real turning point for us. You know, like when I look back today, 20 years later, I just realized all of our, our roads begin and end at ground zero. Everything we do today is a result of ground zero. Our whole lives, whatever makes up our life now is, is due to ground zero. So it really changed our trajectory. We went down a whole different path after that. And it certainly, again, um, affected every aspect of our lives and still is affecting every aspect. Wow. That's very intense. Yeah. So did you say that people were jumping in the harbor and swimming? Yes, it's a known, it's a known fact. People did. Oh my gosh. I understand that there were several official boats manned by maybe the Coast Guard who plucked people out of the water <laughs> that day. There hasn't <laughs> been a count of how many people actually did that, but it is known that people were picked up out of the water trying to swim. Mm -hmm. So everything has affected you since then. So how did it change your life? Like, how did it change where you lived or what you did for a living, for example? Well, so at the time I was an I'd moved up to New York City to be an actress and I was a, a I was a tour guide as a day job. But, you know, after 9-11, I really just lost my confidence and just had a hard time standing up in front of people. It, um, I, I quit the business after that. And, and that was a big deal to me because it's the only thing I'd ever wanted to do as a girl. And I, I took a long time to kind of redirect. What do I want to do? What do I want to be? What did I, I had all these dreams and aspirations of being on the Broadway stage and being a, a, a lady who lunches and having this, we have this wonderful apartment. I have this wonderful man and it's going to be this and that. And none of those things mattered to me anymore. And I had to kind of regroup of what was important in life and what, what does matter. And that took a while. And yeah, health-wise, yeah, things said really quickly that our health was, we could tell things were compromised, that I, I used to run marathons, I ran two New York City marathons, I couldn't run anymore. So we had health things to deal with. And that was a whole new adjustment, right? And with our faith, it, we had, we explored a whole new level of it because, you know, coming in so close to death, you're thinking of these things. 
or like you just realize I might not have all the time in the world that I thought I had. And some of these big life life questions that maybe some people take decades to question and ask and decide for themselves, I asked them, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I didn't think that my life would be particularly long. And I just, things that maybe people do in their, their 50s, I was, I was doing pretty early. And just because I felt that, wow, let, let me get this all kind of straight and let me go from here. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, those are some ways, but they ended up being very pivotal ways of, of how we approached life and big picture. You know, what do we want from life? What, what can we give to life and what's important in life? So those are big, big, big questions that we really grappled with in the aftermath um, very heavily and, and basically made a game plan of what the rest of our lives were going to look like. Yeah, I can, <laughs> I can see that how you, the actor's part of you, because you do talk very confidently mm-hmm. and you're a very good storyteller. Oh. So I can <laughs> that see. That tour guiding for sure. <laughs> you you're tour, tour guide, yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy being a tour guide. I, I've always enjoyed being a tour guide. I've been a tour guide since 1995. Can you believe that? It seems such a, a long time, but yeah. And it was always in New York City. Always, always. Yeah. yeah. So you might, you probably know more about New York City than I do. I know quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, to be a a licensed New York City tour guide, you actually have to take a really difficult test. Mm -hmm. And I I spent a year studying for this test, which I passed in 1995. And what's interesting is right away, I started giving walking tours of the original World Trade Center site. So I knew that site like the back of my hand because I was a tour guide there for six years before before the attacks. So I knew it well in the beginning. And it was interesting to... Uh, to to know it well now you know and know the contrast and you know I was there from from the get-go but um but But you're like an expert on this before Uh, and after actually I'm gonna say that uh, I don't want that to sound braggy I just was around and I I knew it from a, a very academic point of view yeah yeah so what kind of health um ramifications occurred after because I don't think a lot of people know a lot about the illnesses that people experienced after 9-11 being so close to the site. Well, I'm going to throw this out there because this is some interesting information that they say now that more people have died than died that day of 9-11 from, from the toxins that, were, uh, that you were inhaled um, in the aftermath. So that means over 3,000 people have died from the cancers related to the toxins. So what they discovered was that there are uh, at least 70 different cancers related to uh, the toxin inhalation that was, you know, everything from jet fuel to pulverized concrete and electrical wiring, everything you'd find in a room, really. It was all in that dust, which mm-hmm. people inhaled, not just the rescue workers, definitely the rescue workers, but not just. It was also students, it was also employees, and residents. So for instance, there's 25,000 residents around the attack zone. And every, every one of them, unless they moved right away, had inhaled that. And sometimes the issues took root in somebody's body and didn't come to fruition until just now and for 20 years. So I'm a member of something called the World Trade Center Health Registry, which monitors our health if we were, again, uh, in proximity to that attack zone. And 
so I keep up with all that news and the trajectory of, of, of how people have suffered. And yeah, so, you know, some of the top uh, cancers, believe it or not, is skin cancer of all things. And um, just a lot, of, a lot of cancers that you wouldn't actually think, because most people think are thinking in terms of lung, and there definitely is lung, but it's affected every, every bit of your body. It just depends and, uh, on the person. So we knew that the dust wasn't good. However, I mean, you know that the, pre uh, the president, Mayor Giuliani and Christine Todd Whitman, who was the head of the EPA, were saying, hey, air quality is fine. Come on back. And, and it's, it's all good. And, and it wasn't. Um, so they, they definitely uh, didn't steer us right in, in that direction. But I also, at the same time, in their defense, I understand that they needed to, uh, to, to bring people back to lower Manhattan because it's a very, it's a tiny island. It's a very, it has Wall Street there. It's, a, um, it's the center of finance, or at least it was at the time. So I do, I do understand the rush to get people down and moving, but there were consequences for it. Gosh. You know, do the right thing and tell the truth. You know? Uh, what, ha what I think it, I, I'm going to give, um, give the benefit of the doubt that I don't think they had enough information to make those kind of judgment calls at the time. Right, right. Boy, it sounds a lot like what's happening right now. <laughs> but um, um, do I spend time, you know, being angry with them? No, I mean it's common knowledge. These are facts. I'm not. I'm not uh, stating an emotion. I'm stating mm -hmm. facts, mm -hmm. and those are the facts, and that's what we have to deal with, and that's what people are dealing with. Yeah. So, was just, there any compensation or anything? Yes. Okay. There is. So if you do, if somebody does get sick and they can prove that they had proximity to the Twin Towers, they can uh, essentially be compensated for their medical care through the World Trade Center um, Compensation Fund. Now we have good insurance, which we which we use. We don't need to go to the fund at this point, but I mm -hmm. do like not knowing that it's in my back pocket and it's got my back if something happens and then something happens to our insurance. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people needed it. One of the difficult things I had um, with the with 9-11 was the towers were always an important part of the skyline. Right. And I, I'm, I am a native New Yorker. I grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. That was something I always looked for when I was coming back right. to the city. You scan the skyline and you look for the towers. Because right. that's like, oh, yeah, we're getting close. I'm approaching from New Jersey, usually, and I'm getting closer to the city. Well, that was completely gone. All gone. If it nobody was... died in those buildings, I would miss those buildings. Meaning yeah. I, 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 it's it was a devastating loss of life, and it was sad to lose those buildings. It really was. It really was part of the skyline, and then it was, it was just gone completely gone I mean it was shocking how destroyed it was now the day of 9-11 my story is is I was I had already been at work so I was working for a government agency in DC not too far from the White House and I was already at work and my husband who was my boyfriend at a time we weren't even married yet but he called me and said you know something really weird happened 
<laughs> and I'm like, yeah. He's like, a small plane flew into one of the World Trade Center towers. And I was like, really? That's weird. And so, you know, we hang up. And then he calls me again after the second one gets hit. And he's freaking out. He's like, Tina, you need to leave now. You need to leave now. Something's going on. Like, and I said, I'm not leaving. I don't know what's happening. You know, I don't know what's happening on the street. And when you're in DC and you're going back to Virginia, you have to go over a bridge. <laughs> you know, the Potomac is there. You can't, you know, there's only a couple of bridges. What if everybody else is trying to leave at the same time? Then there were rumors that the State Department was bombed, which became untrue, but that's what people were hearing. And then we heard the Pentagon was hit. So I just decided to stay till about, it was like late afternoon, probably I would say around 3 p.m. when we felt like the coast was clear <laughs> because I actually um, carpooled with another woman in my agency and when we left there was no traffic so everything kind of calmed down but the pentagon was still burning so we drove right by it wow and uh, i think a couple weeks later my husband and i went closer to the pentagon to kind of see what happened there we took some pictures of the debris you know the big hole that was left in mm. there so it was upsetting. I mean, not only my home city was attacked, but, you know, my my current city was attacked. So right. it was like. It definitely hit you. It was a double whammy. Yeah. Mm. Well, it, um, you know, I, I, I've written a lot about 9-11. I wrote a lot about 9-11 this year and it's, it's, a, it's a banner year. It's an anniversary year. Mm -hmm. And you know, one thing that's interesting about about 9-11 is it's a very layered history. It's a very layered tale. And I have noticed that young people, because I tour thousands of students every year and have, again, since 1995, and I had been dismayed to feel like a lot of their information seems one note. You know, whenever I get a student tour, I always ask them, like, what do you know? What do you know? What have you been taught? about 9-11 mm -hmm. and it usually is just about the planes and the towers which are of course the the, the bedrock and the the, the important uh, important story of 9-11 but there's a lot of ripple effects of let's say the the largest boat evacuation in history you know let's say um the fact that they they didn't find many bodies at all and there's several um, people who die that was nothing was ever found of them. And what about um, fires raged at ground zero 90 days after mm -hmm. the attacks? Well, into December. And, you know, um, a, a, a resident like me, like, what did we undergo? And is that pivotal to the story? No, but it helps complete people's understanding of, of what that day looked like and how many people it affected. And it was a lot more than just the 16, 16 acre complex, which is what I've understood a lot of people have homed in on. Oh, it was, it was horrible, but it, it, it was contained within about 16 acres and it, and it wasn't. So, and also just the fact that, you know, it was meant for America, it was meant for Americans. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we all share in, 
in that day because it you know they 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 came to affect our military might, our government might, our our, our finance world, and it was meant for all of us. And it's just something that we it's a it's a it's a it's a note in history that that everybody should know and be yeah. well versed in. And it was it was only twenty years ago. And even 20 years, think of how much the world has gone through in 20 years. Even 20 years later, it is still known as the world's worst terrorist attack, not just like on U.S. soil or to America. It is still, number one, the world's worst terrorist attack. And that just, that says a lot. And lots of things change after that. I mean, even as a government employee, you know, the security that you had to go through to get in and out of government buildings increased. They had metal detectors everywhere where before you didn't have to go through a metal detector. They put all sorts of obstacles in front of the entrances, the garages. I mean, at first they would just put cars like emergency vehicles in the way, you know, around the White House, around different government buildings. But they, they, then they started putting these concrete pillars in the ground so no one could drive their car into i mean everything got hyper vigilant just traveling it changed everything about travel like to this day we still can't bring like more than three a bottle of water onto the plane because of 9-11 we take off our shoes you know we stand in these lines you know, we didn't have that issue before 9-11. We didn't have all these rules, you know. Right, right. Our Department of Homeland Security was set up as a result of 9-11. It changed, yeah, it changed everything. Mm -hmm. It's almost like our innocence of a country was lost that day and the age of terrorism had begun. It was, uh, it ushered in a lot. But you know what was interesting right after I told my husband, I said, it's never going to happen again. Like no one is ever going to fly a plane into a, you know, a, not. a tall building again. I said that right afterwards. And he said, how do you know? And I said, I just know. I hope not. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm up in the air on the September 11th. I can't think of anything I'd, I'd, I'd less want to do, but I'm going to speak about 9-11 at a church, which is, um, you know, Sunday, September the 12th. And so I have to fly on the 11th because they have an eight o'clock service. And, but you know what, I, I just can't, I can't let it, um, I can't let it rule me. Yeah. I, I have to have to deal with the anxiety and keep on. Yeah. So you still experience anxiety on that day. I despise flying, but yet I fly everywhere. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's that will, that was never, that never ended up becoming easier um, I was fine with flying before 9-11 and that's, you know, but again, it affected me in big and small ways. And that's one of the smaller ways that it affected me. Yeah. yeah but yet I keep on, it just is what it is. You feel very vulnerable flying anyway. So I always say a little prayer if I get nervous. Oh, I do lots of, in fact, sometimes I think I should keep flying just because I pray so much. <laughs> My prayers. <laughs> yeah, like I shield the plane and protect the entire plane and like visually pilot. and everything. So mm -hmm. once I, that's how I turn my anxiety and fear around. I do something about it and then I just let it go. I'm like, I am protected. I'm safe. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> so since you know so many, so much about 
um, the World Trade Center, maybe share some interesting facts about it that we may not know about or about know. the original one yeah the new one the original one any of it oh gosh let me think let me think i used to know how many doorknobs there were in those buildings i think fifty thousand. i can't oh my god but uh i have um a couple of of interesting things is you know after the 1993 bomb uh, bombing essentially uh, that killed six people they actually really improved the evacuation process in both of those towers to where people had drills four times a year where they had to walk down the the fire the, the indoor fire escapes and if it weren't for the 1993 bombing then there would have been a lot more people killed in uh during 9-11 but they were there were so much better emergency systems in place because of the 1993 bombing mm -hmm. that uh, I always I'm, I'm very thankful for that I think about that a lot there is there are two things on the site that were now that were there before so there was a tree called it's now called the survivor tree that's pretty famous but not everybody knows about it but they found a tree from the courtyard that was hanging on just barely hanging on when they had done the cleanup of um, of the of the original you know of all the, the the dust and debris and the rubble, and they took that tree, they took it up to the Bronx, nursed it back to health, brought it down to the new World Trade Center site, and it's thriving. But it's called the Survivor Tree, and it's the only thing that survives from the original 16-acre complex. But another thing does as well. But I, I guess you could say it's not exactly on the complex; it's on the periphery. But that's called the sphere. So in the original design, the original World Trade Center, there was a five-acre courtyard, and all of the buildings were basically on the periphery of the square, and it was all married together by this massive courtyard. And in, right in the middle of that courtyard was a sculpture called mm -hmm. the Sphere. I remember and, it. Yeah, so what they, and it was famous, I mean, because it was the only thing, it was a focal point by, uh, uh, you know, um, by a long shot. And so it was, they, it was found and somewhat intact, but, but all beat up, scarred, holy, but they actually uh, reinstalled it looking terrible. But it's a reminder of the original World Trade Center site. And, mm -hmm. but she, I think it's lovely. I think that's lovely they did that. I, I always loved that sphere. I started and ended my tours at the sphere um, in those, in the early, in the nineties, right? And so it's nice to see, I, I feel like it's an old friend at this point. And it's yeah. nice to see her, but- It I made have, it. I have, yeah, it made it, it made it. But um, yeah, I have, I have all kinds of stories, but I always had a big love of those towers and I would often go to the mall underneath it it was a huge mall it was 80 stores and it um uh it had my favorite uh store casual corner in it do you remember casual corner uh, <laughs> that really so. 80s. yeah <laughs> but, um, but I went there all the time it was the large was the largest retailer in lower Manhattan so I was there all the time and since I was a tour guide I took tourists up to, to the observatory so the observatory was on uh, the it, it was in the South Tower, and you could take an eighty-two second 
elevator that whisked you on up there. And I so preferred that observatory than the Empire State Building. It just was laid out nicer. Of course, it would be. It was, it was, it was far newer than mm -hmm. the Empire State Building's observatory. But you yeah. could see 50 miles out in the radius. And it was just, it was, I just loved it. It was, it was wonderful. And um, so I, I mourn the loss of that observatory. Now, One World, the, the um, building that essentially replaced the Twin Towers has a lovely observatory too. It's not quite the same, but I feel mm -hmm. blessed that I was able to experience that observatory at the so many times that I did because I took thousands of tourists up to that observatory. Yeah. No, I have such great memories. We went to Windows on the World several times, which was a famous restaurant and the North Tower on the 107th floor. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, at the time was the most successful restaurant in the United States. I have great memories of that and the observatory and the mall underneath. I used to buy my Broadway tickets at the half price ticket booth. Yeah, I did that too. Yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I have, uh, you know, it just was a part of my life. As soon as I arrived in the city, it was a part of my life. Yeah. So that would, you know, from one end to the other, that's, that's 30, almost 30 years. Yeah. Talk about whole life because I have a, a picture of me on the Staten Island ferry and I'm literally probably two years old and in the background is the towers. Wow. Wow. So it's something you grow up with that just it's part of the city, which is yeah. interesting. You were talking about that mall. And I just remembered that I interviewed for a retail job in one of those stores, but I didn't get offered a job. So. <laughs> good. They had, do you remember when the Warner Brothers store was popular? They had a Warner Brothers store there. I used to go there all the time. Yeah. I, and, and I'm one of these people for about for, for about or for worse or for good. <laughs> I remember everything. And I, I have lots and lots of memories of that. Uh, yeah. of and I still have the pictures um, of, of what it looked like on the deck, the observatory deck in the 1990s when I went, which was probably the last time I went. You know, it's interesting. Um, people could go to the observatory outside on the on the roof of the 110th floor. I never did that with my tourist. It must have been probably a higher price ticket. And when we have groups with um, with tour companies, they always you know have the, the the lower price point. So I never went on that roof. I, yeah. I, I kind of regret that, but there you go. There was also, um, I think it's a store called Century 21. It's unfortunately it's out of business now. Down there, there is one on the Upper West Side. Yeah, gone out of business across. But the I'd street. like to go to the one, yeah, and down there and shop. Yeah, when great. I was in college at NYU, I would go shop in there. And... It was fun because it's cavernous, absolutely. It was. It was big. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it didn't survive COVID. Yeah, I figured it, it didn't exist anymore. So. <laughs> it's around. It's just uh, there's one uptown. Just that 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 location didn't survive. Yeah. So when you're doing a a talk on your book, what do you like? What are you presenting on on 9/11? Like, what have they asked you to talk about? So I have a slideshow that I do. So I have a, a PowerPoint slideshow that I start. Basically, I kind of weave my story in with the World Trade Center complex. So I talk about how I moved there to New York City when in 1993 when I was 23. And I have pictures of the early World Trade Center site 
where I basically talk people through what it looked like and what was there. Like I said, I, I throw out figures and facts and what I used to tell people originally, you know, yeah. back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Then we go through 9-11 where I talk about the day, what happened to us, but what happened to the towers and and all the buildings that fell because, you know, it was, it was more buildings that were um, demolished uh, not just the Twin Towers. And then I talk about um, the new World Trade Center site and I have pictures of what it looks like now. And I tell people about my tours when I toured them through the memorial and mm -hmm. through Oculus and what the buildings look like and the observatory from One World. And so, yeah, so it's basically a slideshow presentation where I talk about my personal story as well, but give my old tour guiding facts and figures that I always did. Yeah, one thing I don't like is that they keep playing the video of the towers getting hit and they really need to stop that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I had it with, within my, my slideshow. There was a point where I had a, like a, 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 I think it was four second clip that showed it. But kids would get upset and so I removed it. But what's really interesting to me is kids nowadays with the video games, I find them very violent. That I'm actually surprised that that kids find the, the, the plane going in so offensive when they're kind of desensitized but through the video games. But I, I agree, I don't like watching it too. Whenever I, whenever I gave presentations and it played, I turned my back to it, I couldn't see it. But yeah. so I, I'm with you, I totally agree. But I just, and I took it out, it wasn't adding to the presentation. And so I took it out, but I do find that interesting. It's like nowadays things are so violent, <laughs> I'm just kind of surprised. But this is real and that they're, what it's they're real. playing You're is right. fictional and fake. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always kind of grimace when people say, oh, well, we'll never forget. I'm like, of course we won't forget. We will never forget. If you were an adult and alive at that time, those, those buildings being hit is in your mind. You have the picture. You don't need to watch it over and over again. I think it's triggering for people, you yeah. know? And for people like you had PTSD, must be difficult. Um, yeah. Just tone it down news networks. Like we, no, we'll never forget. <laughs> I even watched a special last night. And I'll be honest, my husband and I don't watch a lot of 9-11 specials because they're upsetting. Yeah, we don't either. Mm -mm. And, mm -hmm. and not that uh, I, I would dissuade people from watching it, just us in particular because of our, our history. Um, otherwise, I want people to watch those things. I really do. But um, but we don't. But we did last night. And I'm kind of glad I did because I realized that it gave me a new stamina of why I talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because our, it just kind of all came back of like, this. it was just so that bad. And it just, I'm doing a lot of speaking in the next two weeks up until, you know, actually up until the, the 13th, that uh, it gave me actually kind of a new motivation of like, you know, we, we, we got, this was that bad. We got to remember this. <laughs> what did you think of the, I guess the memorial and I guess they had a little museum when I went. Uh, I think the museum is wonderful. It's yeah. just wonderful. I really mm -hmm. love it. It's so well done. It's so accurate. It's so interesting. It is perfect. I love that museum. I think the memorial is beautiful. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, a lot of um, symbolism at the memorial, I love how they decided how they would group the names 
listed next to each other. That's a lovely story as well. I, I don't, there's a little new part that I, it's the only part I don't really care for. It's called Memorial Glade. I think it's two years old. It was meant to remember those who have died of the cancers since 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I understand that they went through many iterations, what it should look like. I'm not a huge fan of what it ended up becoming, but, and it's a, an important part of the story was the fact that it killed people in the aftermath. So I, I would have rethought that but that is only a very small portion of, of the whole, the memorial at large. But mm-hmm. as far as the memorial and the museum, I just love them. I went once uh, a couple years after, and they had a video running of people who had been there or were telling their story. Oh my gosh. And there was a group of us just standing there watching the video and I was crying and I was looking around. Nobody else was crying. I was like, how can you not cry through this? <laughs> and then oftentimes when I take students in there, they treat it just like a lot of museums. They're kind of in and out in about 45 minutes. Yeah. And I understand that. I mean, there it's the same way with the Metropolitan a Museum of Natural uh, History or whatever. But yes, I'm hoping that when they're older, they'll come again and stay longer when there's, when we all have longer attention spans at that, at that point. But I I think it's important to bring students to go into it. Yeah, it's an important part of our history. It is. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show again and talk about your book and where can people find your book if they'd like to read it? Just kind of anywhere where they buy anything from Target to Walmart to Amazon, but online uh, mm-hmm. at different times. There's some stories like Books a Million, they'll carry it, Barnes and Nobles will carry it, but not every store. So online, but wherever you buy your online stuff, it's probably there. <laughs> okay. And again, it's called Out of the Shadow of 9-11 by Christina Stanton. There she blows. And if anybody is interested in asking me any questions, my website is christinaraystanton.com and it has a feature to, to, to talk to me, which would be great. I'm, I, I love to hear from people. So, but look on christinaraystanton.com. Okay, great. Thank you, Christina, for being my first double guest. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very honored. <laughs> Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218 or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook 
and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.